welcome to How Fitting, the podcast about creating fashion and growing a business that fits your customer, your lifestyle, and your values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Emily Racy of Juni. So welcome to the show, Emily. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. For those listening who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes, of course. Like she said, my name is Emily Bracy. Since the age of about 10 years old, my dream was to be a fashion designer. And almost a year ago, it'll be on 11-11, will be my first year anniversary of my ethically and sustainably made fashion line, Junie. So I'm so excited for that. Yeah, it's and oh, how how deep do you want me to get in here? Yeah, <laughs> do you want me to start you to start at the yeah. beginning? Do you want me to like start from when I started sewing and all that? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, I awesome. always ask kind of like what your background is. Like, do you have oh, a background yeah. in fashion? And kind of how did you get into starting oh, this brand? Let's. Okay, I love this question. <laughs> <laughs> so we could literally go back to the days of you know stealing pillowcases and stuff from around the house to making <laughs> dresses for my dolls and our, my pets. <laughs> Sorry, cats. <laughs> but yeah, I always had a love for fashion. And a lot of that actually came from my grandma. Her name's Grandma June. And that's actually who my brand is named after. This past August was actually um, 10 years since her passing. So mm-hmm. it's been this really cool time in my life where, you know, I'm in my early thirties and I lost her in my early twenties. And it's just been really cool to feel like kind of I'm a kid again with all these memories of fashion. So when I was little, I would have these little, I say, grandma, can we have a, can I do a fashion show today? And she like knew what that meant. She had this (laughs) box of just beautiful gowns and dresses. Her and my papa would just go dancing all the time. And still I, it was very lucky to be uh, gifted those dresses when I was about 16 or 17. So I have all of them and so they special. always, yeah, they're so cool. And it's so funny too, because I'm like almost 5'10 and she was like, I think 4'11 when she passed. So oh, it's wow. just so funny how some of the stuff I can barely fit into because <laughs> she mm-hmm. was so itty bitty, but everything that was floor length on her is like knee length for me. But wow. um Anyway, so something that always stood out to me, even like as a middle schooler, was just like how the clothes were put together, you know, back when they would like only use metal zippers and it just seemed Mm -hmm. so extra delicate, but at the same time, it also had a better craftsmanship to it. Mm -hmm. So that's something that really sparked my interest. And from then on, like, you know, my grandma, she taught me the basics of sewing. I would do like hand embroidering with her. She taught me how to knit. Eventually in high school, I started taking sewing classes. I started doing, taking classes in like digital arts as well, because I knew that's where like fashion was heading. And in 2013, I ended up as a student at the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City. And as that, I mean, it was such an incredible experience. I mean, who wouldn't want to live in New York City when you're 21 as a fashion major with your best friend, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I did that. And it was a very bittersweet time for me. That was actually when my grandma passed away. But Mm -hmm. it also, I learned so much about the fashion world that now I, I mean, we can openly say it's, it's secret, it's hidden, like how clothes are made, who makes them, what actually is put like you, like a lot of people like, oh my God, I got this shirt for $5. It was such a good deal. But now mm-hmm. to learn what that, like to learn what that meant back then, even to just the treatment of models that I would see at like runway shows and stuff. It was not as if my dreams of being in fashion were shattering. It was more of like, this is not the way I see myself going about it. There's this hustle to the fashion industry where you are a perceived hustle where, you know, everything seems so go, go, go and cutthroat. And to me, I was like, well, why? Like, why does it have to be like that? And then I think a huge eye opener for me was when, and I think I'm saying this right, I believe it was in like Benghazi or Bangladesh when the factory collapsed in like 2013, I believe. Yeah, And I was in school for that. Like I was at one of the top fashion schools in America and not one person was talking about it. And I was like, guys, I'm, 
I, how are we out to like just going on our day? Like, this is insane. And yeah. just no one said anything about it. And a lot of people were like, oh, so are you like done with fashion? And I'm like, no, it's just, you know, it's going to take its time. It's going to happen when it happens. I know I'm going to do it one day, but I'm going to do it with the morals and like the ethics, honestly, that like my grandma instilled in me, you know, she was, she wouldn't even know it now, but she was so into sustainability, like the little things she would keep. I swear she's the reason why every little scrap of fabric from something I make, I'm like, oh, I got to keep this. There's, you know, I can make this into something, but it's true, you know? And then also just, yeah. And also seeing like the fabric waste at fashion school, was another like red flag for me. Like this is not the industry I thought I signed up for. So I moved back to my hometown. Luckily I was able to do a lot of seamstress work while working in a local boutique. Our town was in need of a seamstress. So that was really cool. I think every town is in need of good seamstresses, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. We're a dying breed. But, and then it kind of hit me, like, I'd be sewing, like, 15 pants. I'd be shortening, like, 15 men's slacks a day. And I'm like, this isn't it either. (laughs) Like, Mm. I was almost, like, resenting my sewing machine. And I'm like, it's not your fault. (laughs) So I actually took a couple of years off and somehow got into the world of just marketing, which was very bizarre, but helping with small business and marketing, honestly, just because I liked it. It was fun. And I've always been such a people person and a planner. So it worked out. And then it was around like 2019, I moved to Florida, where I'm currently in Tampa, Florida right now. And things were just like, right. And I could start sewing again, I had more time. And I just decided on this small collection I designed to launch last November 11th. And I said, we're doing this. (laughs) And I did it. And here I am. (laughs) Yeah. And I can totally relate. And I'm sure a lot of listeners will too with your background of having these kind of like big dreams for a career in fashion and Mm -hmm. then seeing kind of the inner workings and just being like, this is not what I wanted to, this is not what I wanted to do. Like I wanted, I want to do fashion, but not this way. Yeah. I want like people to feel big people feel beautiful. And like, I want what they wear, like to, you know, you want to feel something you want to be able to like pass something down. It was, it's Mm -hmm. not just about clothes per se. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a quote on your site too, of like when something has meaning, you want to keep it, care for it, show it off. And if you're lucky, pass it down. Yeah. Which I totally agree with. And I'm curious, like what is like how, what gives clothes meaning in your opinion? And, and how do you do that with the clothes in your brand? I think something big that gives clothes meaning is slow fashion and not just buying to buy, you know, going back to me trying on my grandma's dresses, every single thing she showed me, honestly, even if it was just like a blouse or a pair of slacks, there was typically a reason she bought that like for an event or like I wore this X amount of times to Italy to go dancing. And we're now in this system of you just buy to buy, you just buy for like an adrenaline rush, you know? Mm-hmm. So and you can't rewear it if somebody's seen you in it once. Exactly. Kind of. Yeah. And which like, I never really understood, but no, absolutely not. Like, and that's the cool part about fashion is like, one, you should be able to do that. But two, my favorite thing is to wear things different ways. You know, even if you just add a different necklace or a different like pair of earrings, or you kind of tie the top a different way. But yeah, so that's something I really felt to, I wanted to bring that in to Junie. A big phrase for me was heirloom pieces, because that's how I felt like receiving my grandma's dresses and wardrobe that not only was the construction and everything just done so beautifully where they needed very minimal like touch-ups throughout the years, but there was just like a uniqueness to them. It wasn't, well, so-and-so was wearing this. So let's make 10,000 different versions this week and sell them for $7.99. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the how fast fashion is. And like, I just had this vision of wanting someone to see one of my pieces and like, make them kind of think because a lot of the fabric I use, especially when I do like pop up markets is from 
it's all either sustainable or recycled fabric or like repurposed reuse. So I'll use like uh-huh. curtains and bed sheets and like a lot of other slow fashion upcyclers too. And I think it's like the looking at something and being like, wait, is that what? Wait, that's so unique. And, you know, I think we're, we're losing that almost. And yeah. So, yeah. And that's a great answer. Like the meaning of the clothes comes from kind of buying it with purpose. And then exactly. Yes. Yeah. Noticing the details of it and kind of the craftsmanship that went into it makes mm-hmm. it more, more different and special. Yeah. So, so with using both new and like upcycled textiles, I know each of those can have their own challenges too, of mm-hmm. like sourcing. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah, sourcing materials, you, you know, even when they're new materials as a small brand where you yeah. can't just order 10,000 yards of something and have it custom made. Yeah. Um, and, you know, finding what you're looking for and then also kind of the limited treasure hunt almost of, of finding textiles to recycle. Um, so yeah so how do you kind of navigate that like what are the pros and cons for you of those different ways of of finding materials and how do you decide like which pieces are upcycled materials and when when you need to source something new so something that was really big when I decided I wanted to start Junie and when I wanted to start it was the more sustainable fabrics just because I mean there's just so much waste in this world and mm-hmm. just piles of piles of fabric and like landfills so I went towards you know I just I love thrifting anyway I've always been a thrifting girl and Same. so I would yeah and then especially like I moved to like the Tampa area in Florida coming from like Buffalo New York and like everything in the thrift stores is so different. And I'm like, why doesn't everyone thrift? This is fantastic. (laughs) But anyway, to answer your question, a really good example actually just happened last week. So I love upcycling like curtains and the corsets. I think it's just, I just, it's so cute. It's, they're so fun to make. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And there was a fabric that I got that used to be curtains and I was like pressing it and ironing it. And I noticed that it kind of started like you know, cause a lot of them are made with polyester and plastic. And I was like, oh no, because <laughs> mm-hmm. it didn't have a tag on it. And so there was way too much polyester in the fabric to be a structured corset. And so it was like, I spent all this time doing that to making it. But to me, I'm like, okay, it's just, you know, let's make it into something else. Let's do that. So that was definitely something that makes it hard to source the fabrics is sometimes you don't know what you're going to get. Like to mm-hmm. me, it, when I was, cause I, you know, when you're thrifting, sometimes I'm going through the curtains, I'm going kind of fast and I didn't have time really to like analyze the fabric. So I was able to make it in a really, as like a really cute kind of cardigan. So it won't have like those points of like stress and pull as you would to a corset. So I was still able to use the fabric, which I was happy about. But I think that's also what makes everything extra unique. You know, I'm like, well, I can only make one of these or two of these. Like I said, luckily, I do live in an area that has a lot of thrift stores like Salvation Armies and estate sales too. love going to estate sales for like tapestries. Yeah. Um, And then when it comes to just like actual like fabric textiles, something I've done with Junie actually since 2019 is kind of like a way of guiding me. I went on to makersrow.com. I am not a gatekeeper. I want everyone to know about this site, (laughs) but they basically it's production companies that want to help you start a brand. So while I knew, you know, the basics of sewing, I can construct dresses, corsets, all that. I, I live in a apartment right now (laughs) and I don't have the space to make some of the stuff I wanted to make, including, you can see it on my website. It's called the June dress, but it's a maxi dress. And I just, there was no way for me to really cut it with my little sewing machine that I have that little area. Mm -hmm. So I found a company through Makers Row that is based in Atlanta, Georgia, and they have a factory in Brooklyn, which I wanted it to be made in America. For different reasons, but a lot of it's convenience for me. <laughs> so they actually helped me with sourcing dead stock fab. Now, not only dead stock fabric, but fabric made from like recycled fabric and cotton and linen. So that was really cool being able to, you know, basically have someone who understands the values I want in my company to guide me. But 
definitely what you're saying about there like not being enough fabric and that, but also just not having enough room. I think sometimes there's brands and stuff and they're like, wow, they must have like a warehouse and this and that. And like right now I'm, you know, recording this in my guest room and I see my hung up stacks of dresses, (laughs) my organized (laughs) fabrics. And it's like, so really a lot of the time it's the space, but you know, you, you make do with what you can do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm in the guest bedroom recording right now yeah. to have like a quieter <laughs> place space. To be. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's often smaller space. And that's a great point where it's not just the, mm-hmm. like the values in the production, but also just like the limitations of if you don't have like a huge warehouse or yeah. factory, there's some things that just aren't feasible yeah. to make at a small scale. But I um, think in a way that kind of helps me because I feel like like right now my favorite item that I have is a long pair of linen pants called the rosy pant. And I currently mm-hmm. offer them in like a beige and a charcoal. But I swear if I had the room, I would have so much linen fabric in different colors. <laughs> <laughs> I would be out of control. So maybe right now it's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. So how, I mean, that's a great point of like, how do you, what is kind of your approach to designing new pieces? Do you design the piece and then go looking for the right fabric for it? Or do you get inspired by the fabrics that you find and design something for it? And then, yeah. How do you, what does your design process look like when coming up with your collections? It's like fun chaos. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's how I've always been. But for a lot of things, like I like to consider a lot of my pieces like elevated basics, you know, like off the shoulder crop top, but it has like a ribbed fabric with like a lettuce hem, you know, just Mm -hmm. like those little details in there. So a couple of years ago, I found these really nice sustainable ribs with recycled cotton and a similar knit not as big of ribs but I've kind of like held on to those two fabrics and have incorporated them into a lot of pieces which I find a lot of my customers actually really like because they get excited like oh is this made with the same fabric of the June dress like it was so soft so like I realized I'm like wow this is kind of cool because then my customers kind of get you know into like they like they know what they're they getting. have their favorites and, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly and I think when it comes to like thrifting a lot of the time like I just did some skirts out of these really wicked cool curtains a couple days ago and like when I looked at those curtains I just I knew like I was like Maria Von Trapp I was like we're making (laughs) those into skirts (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it is it's very much like that actually it's funny we were talking about the rosy pant like we just had this whole I mean it's still going but the cargo pant trend Mm -hmm. that's one thing like I'm trying to shy away from is trends like trends are so fun but they're not very timeless. If you keep it in your closet for like 10 years, like it'll definitely come back into style. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I kind of like, I looked at a pair of cargo pants and I was like, what do I like about cargo pants? Like what would make them more juny? What would make them also easier to accommodate different sizes as a girl who's been 2xl to a size 2 like I've gone all over the place (laughs) something with my brand was just like I am never gonna make something that I could have never put on my body so like when I was looking at cargo pants a lot of them had drawstring waists and I'm like that's what we're doing like and then you make it a little bigger you know I like to say they're the they're a good traveling pant because you can really go out to eat and then loosen them a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that was also something. So it's also finding fabrics that allow for that as well. And, you know, just drape nice and hang nicely, you know, because want to feel good in what we're wearing. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. It's like if you don't feel good in it, people aren't going to actually wear it when they might, you know, think it looks cute and they might wear it to something special, but it's the thing where as soon as they get home, it's coming off. They're going to put on the comfy pants. Oh my gosh. Not going to live in it. Exactly what you said. And it's so funny that you say that, that one of my customers of my June dress actually told me, she's like, I wore it to a wedding. And she goes, I ended up falling asleep on the couch in it because it was so comfortable. And I was like, that is the nicest thing anyone's ever told me. 
Yeah, because like what normally oh what outfit gosh. that you wear to a wedding would you ever no. want to sleep in? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Know, so that was so cool. And that's just one of those little things that's like, I'm doing the right thing. Like we're doing this. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's that's amazing to be able to hit both of those well. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Weddings and nap time. <laughs> yep. Cool. So I think I read somewhere that for that June dress, you spent a couple years developing it. Is that right? Yes. Yes. This is actually the June dress is what I developed with my product developer. And oh. they're, so I don't personally make the June dresses. I designed it and they're actually, they were made in a factory in Brooklyn in New York. So that was really cool to like be a part of that process and actually like get to use some of more of my business side of the background, you know, that I learned in college. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, sorry. (laughs) So, So what did, what did that kind of look like working with this agency and yeah, what, what of your business skills were you then using in that process? I'm designing the dress. Gosh, even beyond business skills, I think one word when it comes to fashion and how the fashion industry is, um, especially with slow fashion, is patience. Mm -hmm. And just, and I've always been a pretty patient person, (laughs) but I mean, you can probably attest to this, like doing patterns, like you can make something in a sample fabric and then like you have the pattern, it's ready. And then you get that true fabric. And it can look completely different, feel completely different, all this Mm -hmm. and that. And you kind of got to start almost all over. But it's my, this kind of goes back. My mom, she loves baking. And it's, I always like kind of compare it to that, that like you just have to be so specific and like the tiniest little thing, like even moving like the straps, like to the left, like a quarter of an inch is going to make the biggest difference with the outcome. Mm-hmm. And I was really lucky with the production company that I work with. Like they will like explain everything. They're so helpful. They really, I mean, I can say they like held my hand through it, even just the emotional support, but it was also just super exciting being able, like I'm only about five hours away from Savannah, Georgia. So I would drive there for fittings. And that was like a really cool, surreal moment for me where I'm like, wow, I am a designer. (laughs) Like, this is my dress. Like, I drew this once and sent it to a company and like, here it is. And then even just sourcing like the findings on it for like the straps, you know, I get those from a small business on Etsy. And that was something I wanted to do too. Like, I didn't just want to go to like, you know, a local store or like a big chain store and like got a hundred different like such and such I wanted to support a small business while helping my small business. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely patience. <laughs> and, you know, just taking things as like learning moments. Definitely. I had an art teacher who back in high school almost made it seem like, you know, with art, which I consider fashion art, like you can't really mess up. You like you learn and then you just do it again. <laughs> yeah. So that's something I've always taken with me. And I definitely took that with me through the three years of designing this dress. Yeah, so cool. Were there any, like in, in that those three years, was it kind of just like a slow, steady process? Or w- did you have to kind of redo or go back to the drawing board or find a different fabric at any point? Um in in that develop, I know you mentioned you know yeah. it's like the, you get the final fabric and it looks totally mm-hmm. different. Was that something mm-hmm. that happened? Oh yeah, definitely. And even just I, I have this really bar- bizarre way of testing clothing. <laughs> like I will literally, if I make an outfit, there's a good chance that I will sleep in it some night because I toss and turn when I sleep. And I'm like, if this thing is like stretched out in the morning or something, that's teaching me something, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I'll uh, so a big part of that process like they will be like a, I don't know, like three to four month gap where it's kind of like stillness in the development because I'm, I mean, I'm kind of still at development at home with it where I'm wearing the dress. I'm washing the dress. I'm drying it. I'm making sure that, you know, it can, I always joke that we have a really old washer and dryer here. And I'm like, well, if something can make it through this, we're, we're good (laughs) for our Mm -hmm. customers. 
Um, so yeah, definitely that. And then little things of, you know, I'll wear something I'll like, I think it was like the second time I put on the dress and I realized that like the neckline was like lowering a little too much. So, you know, I made a note for the next sample, you know, let's pick it up like an inch. So just those little tiny things, because working with sustain, not only sustainable fabric, like and I'm not talking like thrift store, like I'm talking like by the yard, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be more expensive, especially if there's like less polyester in it. Cause it's a higher quality fabric. And then also like being made in America at a factory in New York city where everyone is, thank God paid a living wage <laughs> or more so costly. So that was another part of, I guess, the length of designing this dress and some of like the fallbacks because every it's not like every sample's free either mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah and it was really cool because I think going through this dress it really helped me even just learn more about different just like tensions and stuff like that and fabrics and I think honestly the the coolest part about the dress in my opinion is it has these like brass buckles on the front of it wear a lot for the straps, whereas a lot of dresses will put the buckles in the back. Mm -hmm. That was a total like design mess up. And then we got it and we're like, wait, this is so cute. (laughs) Oh, so it wasn't like intentional to have them on the front. They just got put on backwards and you're like, oh, that's great. Let's keep it. Yeah. We like, it was just like, I always joke and I'm like, grandma June did it. She did it. (laughs) She knew it. And it was just what me and like the product developer looked at each other and we were like, no, this was like divine intervention. This looks beautiful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, you know, even right there where it was like, at first we were like, oh no. And it actually ended up being the coolest mistake. (laughs) Sometimes we we had a joke in like fashion school Mm -hmm. where if we messed something up and like had to do a workaround, Mm-hmm. we would just be like it was a design decision like even if right. it, even if it wasn't like we would have rather <laughs> yes. had it the way it was supposed to be but we messed it up and we like didn't have time to redo it that exactly. was always our like excuse it was a design decision like I, yeah, yeah. To- <laughs> I took a creative direction in a different yeah. way than I anticipated <laughs> yeah <laughs> no exactly awesome so how many samples did you end up doing for the June dress and like testing out throughout that process I want to say five. Okay. With, yeah. Yes. A decent amount, coolest. but not crazy. Oh, yeah, definitely. And like our our estimate was three. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay, we we stuck to around <laughs> what we were doing. But also what's really cool about the production company that I work with, they're actually, they're called Blank Canvas Development. If anyone wants to okay. look them up on Instagram, they're super cool. Where was I going on with this? That just, <laughs> what was I saying? My brain. With the, yeah. we're talking the about the sorry. samples, sampling oh. and like how many samples? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did the five samples. And then once like I placed my order, I actually did like a pre-order with the dresses just for like a discount incentive and also like teaching my customers about like slow fashion and like pre-ordering stuff and how some, that can like save fabric and all of that. And when I got all the dresses delivered to me, it was like, the coolest moment like mm-hmm. like, like Christmas morning like a million times better like or like Christmas morning as like a six-year-old you know yeah <laughs> like it was so cool and right there it was like all those little moments where because it's very normal to like if something goes wrong you think oh my gosh is this worth it is this not, like am I on the right track here and like right there there was just so much validation in opening that box up and then being able to like send out those orders it was so cool yeah to see your design come to life and the production yeah. of it and the fact that you had pre-sold it so you knew mm-hmm. they were already going to be yes. of it. oh yeah really exciting. <laughs> yeah it was so cool awesome So I know you talk a lot about fair labor and how you just said how your factory in, is it Brooklyn that pays fair wages? So how did you go about finding a production partner that kind of matched your values? And then how did you kind of ensure that, okay, the people Mm -hmm. at each stage are getting paid fairly, like maybe they, you know, they're advertising that they are. 
So again, like I feel so lucky to have found Anna McCraney and Blank Canvas. She owns it. She, our first consultation we had before I like signed anything and we were just talking and I was explaining to her, you know, like I want to start with a dress and let's build from there. I, I was very just open. Like this is why I, you know, I found you on Maker's Row. With Maker's Row, it's really cool because you can really like narrow your search. Like I made sure it was like East Coast because that's easier for travel for me. And then I saw it was in Savannah and then a big part for me, like I said, it was East coast and it was in New York city and Brooklyn. I just flat out asked them, I was like, how much do you pay your garment workers? <laughs> and they respected that question so much. And I think just like being open when you're open and honest with people, especially in business, it can be hard, but a lot of the time people are going to be open and honest with you back. And mm -hmm. that's something I've learned. And I, I just can't stress enough how lucky I feel to have found them because I have, you know, talked to other small businesses in similar situations that haven't had that like honesty with companies or because like, you know, maybe the factories in a different country, they can't necessarily like check it out as much. They're just like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. And they kind of keep it hush hush. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, I like even the last time I was in New York City, like I went and visited one of the girls who like works there and like oversees production and everything. So I think, you know, if that's something that like really aligns with you, you just have to like flat out be like, listen, if this wasn't what it is, I'm taking my business elsewhere. And mm -hmm. the fact that Blank Canvas also was developed for people like me who wanted to start a fashion business or even like design one thing to a hundred things. And they're like, let us do this for you. So it was really like a match made in heaven. <laughs> yeah. And I think one of the things, and, and maybe you have a different opinion. So, mm -hmm. so definitely jump in if you disagree, but that makes finding the right, you know, production partner or pattern maker or factory mm -hmm. so much easier is being clear on the things that are important to you in your business, mm -hmm. like both you know, on the value side of things, but also just logistic wise or communication preferences or mm -hmm. financially, if you have like a budget that you're working in, like being, knowing what your kind of important deal breakers are and even just yes. references and, mm -hmm. and then being able to communicate that to be able to find somebody who's either, you know, aligned with that or is not. Yes. And then you yeah. kind of have a clear, like, is this good? Is this not good decision? Um, mm -hmm. I feel like if you, if you don't, if you aren't clear about what you're looking for, it's much harder to, you know, know yes. when you found the right fit. Oh, it, exactly. And also I like on top of that, not being afraid to ask questions and like anyone who knows me, like I came out of the womb, not afraid to ask questions <laughs> <laughs> and obviously always respectfully, but if someone isn't willing to answer you there's a problem. And that's something mm -hmm. that I kind of learned in fashion school. You know, when I ask questions like, well, why are we throwing away all this fabric? You know, and if my mm -hmm. questions aren't answered, I'm like, well, it's because it's not an answer they want coming out. So and that was another thing where because you said like financially, like it was right before COVID was when I started working with them. So and they were in New York City. So they like got shut down, shut down. Yeah. And then also I was planning my wedding. <laughs> So there definitely were, there was a lot of financial um, stress, but I was open and honest about it and they were very receptive and they were just happy that they were working with someone who was actually a fashion major. So, cause our process was very, very smooth. Whereas if someone doesn't necessarily have that background, you know, they have to explain like what a tech pack is, like mm -hmm. what exactly samples are like, you know, so that was really cool that we had that like you know, we had the, all obviously all the same knowledge, but yeah, not being afraid to ask questions. <laughs> That's another good one. Mm -hmm. Such a great tip. Yeah. Even just little things like I would, cause in the cool thing about the owner, Anna, she has so much knowledge in the industry. So I would like, even just a simple question, like, well, why doesn't this fabric, why don't you think it like lays as well as this fabric? And she'd give me her honest opinion. And I just, you know, I love to receive new information. I'm all about learning every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is a very much a product development and even kind of 
getting a style kind of onboarded and into production is very much, I think, a back and forth and a collaborative process Mm -hmm. of you can have a a beautiful sample and you think everything's perfect, but then you talk to the factory and they're like, hey, like if we switch it, just, you know, change this one tiny thing, it'll make it easier or cheaper in production, but the quality will be better because it'll, Mm -hmm. you know, run through our production lines more smoothly. And just things like that where being able to have that open communication and take feedback and and know when to be like, nope, this is important to the piece or yes, mm-hmm. this is, you know, we can of course change it to make it a better product. And, and yeah. having that collaborative communication, I think, is so key. It's it's not. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that will re- really make it a great product in the end. Yeah, definitely. Totally agree. So so you make some of the pieces yourself then, and then the June dress is made at this factory? Correct. Yeah. Right now, the June dress is the only thing made through them. Everything else <laughs> I make from my bedroom. Oh, wow. <laughs> my little sewing corner. But I have a couple other products currently in the works with them. So hopefully it's almost like a yearly or like twice a year release of some of their products because they're just, I mean, they inspire me. So it's really cool to work with them. Yeah, I'm so glad you were, you found them. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges I hear from brands is, is finding those partners that are really the best fit. It sounds like you. Oh, yeah. And, and like, I, I, right. And that's why, like, I'm so anti gatekeeping. Like, sometimes if you ask people in certain industries, they will never give you a straight answer. And I'm like, yo, mm-hmm. let's all succeed. Like, let's all have yep. this great experience. <laughs> yeah, it's way more fun having friends and collaborators than competition. Yay. Oh, 100%. So how do you balance then running the business? You're working with, you know, a blank canvas on development of new styles and sewing the production of a lot of the pieces yourself. Oh my gosh, that literally, I feel like I could give you a different answer almost every month, (laughs) depending (laughs) on what I have going on. I'm really lucky that like my full-time job in media marketing, like I work for myself. So that schedules, it's from home and it's very flexible. When it came to working, like developing the dresses and everything with blank canvas, usually that was like a once every other meeting, like once every other week meeting, unless it was like, you know, hey, can we talk tomorrow? We Something happened with the fusible. We got to talk, you know, like one of those things, like a little fashion emergency. So really just like pre-planning things. It's so, it's so hard to actually answer this, I feel like, because I feel like sometimes I have it under control <laughs> and then I'm like, usually when things I don't feel like I'm on a schedule or keeping up, I just need to take a break. I think we forget that, especially as creatives. And like right now I'm like looking at my reflection in the computer and I have a necklace on that my mom gave me and it has a pause sign on it. And I think that's like what ca- what keeps me sane is like, you know, not only me like remembering to take breaks and that I'm one person, but like stick to your schedule. Like it's okay. I write down everything, like literally everything, like even text back my brother. Like I write it down (laughs) (laughs) because like I, you could put me in front of a sewing machine and eight hours later, I'll pick my head up and go, where am I? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) It just gets so into it. But I think, yeah, giving myself grace taking time to pause and for myself and then I have a really good like support system with my family and my husband like he'll be like listen you've been sewing for like 10 days straight we gotta leave the house girl (laughs) but yeah for me definitely it's just lists sticking to them and not letting myself overdo it because being a slow fashion brand you know I our brains I'm just like so creative overflowing and but like it's so fashion I can't be staying up every night until like 3 a.m like that's the opposite of what ethical labor is supposed to be and actually now that I'm saying this it reminded me of a quote actually that I got from my therapist and she said make sure you treat yourself not only as the boss but also the worker And that like opened my eyes. Like I would never have someone work for me and be in like 
So from 9am until like midnight, like that's crazy. So why am I Mm -hmm. expecting that of myself? But that's something I've definitely kept with me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a huge thing. And I think it's a temptation for anyone who has a small business is there's always more to do. And there's Mm -hmm. always more that you could be working on. And the kind of the lines between work and the rest of life get kind of blurred together. But then it is so so easy to work longer hours or I see a lot of times smaller businesses and I I don't know where you are with this in your business Mm -hmm. of where like the the owner is not paying themselves for a while, Mm -hmm. you know, to get the business started, which is sometimes you need to kind of invest in the business to get it off the ground. But then long term, you know, if you're talking about fair labor and everything, it's like you are one of the like you are one of the people in your business and so like don't forget to pay yourself fairly too and it's Um, crazy because I didn't think of that when starting this brand even though I was doing that with my other job with my with like social media marketing and Mm -hmm. I never it's crazy because it didn't hit me until like a couple months ago and and like you said it's a lot about like this business my business isn't even a year old Mm -hmm. so you know I'm still like profit gains all that is still like balancing but (laughs) yeah and and it does take time but Mm -hmm. yeah it's like a long long term you you got to think of yourself and the sustainability of the business and yourself your like your own life and Mm -hmm. work and career can you keep this up for however many years you know exactly yeah (laughs) yeah don't burn yourself out Yes, it, it is always kind of like day to day. There's so much when you're running a small business that, that you know, you end up wearing the hat of as the owner. Oh, yeah. And then like a lot of people who work from home can it probably agree is like you're working and then it's like, oh, but there are dishes. Oh, I need the mm-hmm. vacuum. Oh, I need like, and sometimes it's like, you know what? No, you're at your job. You're not doing the dishes right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I work, my husband and I both work from home as well. Uh-huh. So we had that conversation yeah. at lunch. We're like, okay, which of us is going to do the dishes after yeah. after work? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I don't know why, how I came up with this, but every morning I, I do my dishes every morning while my coffee is parking. And my husband like recently asked me why I do that. <laughs> and I said, well, it makes it so I have a great day. And he's like, what, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, usually, you know, you're really groggy when you're like, right when you're making your coffee. So all that's happening, I'm in the kitchen. I just do the dishes. I put the ones in the dishwasher that I got cleaned. I put those away. I put the dirty ones in. And mm-hmm. I was like, I hate doing the dishes. Like I, I despise it. It's the one thing I don't want to do. And a lot of people can agree with me on that. So let me do this terrible thing I hate in the morning. Cause my day's just going to go up from there. <laughs> yeah. And then like, you don't have to see, you, you have kind of like a cr- oh, clean I have space. Such a clean space. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, your day, if you start your day by washing the dishes, With a mess. Yeah. it'll only get better. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I don't do that, but I do like to have, I'm more like clean it the night before. So I don't have yes. to get up and be like, oh yeah. And see it. See the mess. <laughs> yeah. So, so fun. So where do you sell your pieces? Like, I know you have a website, but, and then I think you mentioned you do pop-ups or markets as well. Yeah. So (laughs) Junie.com, my website with two U's in it. That's where I do a lot of my sales. And then I do pop-up market events around Tampa, Florida and like St. Pete. I actually, cause now it's finally getting cooler out market Mm -hmm. season starting and I'm so excited. So there's this one market in St. Petersburg, Florida called the Mezzo Market. And I start that at the end of the month. So that's just like one Saturday a month until like, I think like April or May they go to. And then there's a boutique in uh, my hometown, Jamestown, New York called Art and Cloth and Craft. And they actually ordered some of my dresses. So people were able to shop them in store there. And yeah, just as like my brand's going, I'm really excited to get more pieces into more businesses, like small businesses. And I think that's something that's going to be really fun for me. But like we were saying, with all the things we have to do, mm-hmm. you know, you got to got to make that time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and 
And like, so you're doing retail online and in person and wholesale, it sounds like to some, yes. some boutiques. Yes. And even that can be like a lot to balance, especially in, in a young business. So how did you kind of figure out, well, how did you get into the store? Cause I think a lot, that's a hurdle yeah. for a lot of brands and work out kind of the, the wholesale pricing. I know it can be a challenge too, of what you know, how do you price your product? So it makes Mm -hmm. sense for your margins as a business, but then also to make room for a wholesale price in the middle there. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. So I actually love this question because it's a question I was asking myself for a really long time. I'm like, I, I don't know. So in my whole thing of never not asking questions, I straight (laughs) up asked the production company I was working with, how do I do this? How do, what do I price these at? Like, I feel like a lot of the times, at least I can say that a lot of us price things lower than what they're, what like we are worth, like in our work is worth. Yeah. So yeah, like, oh, this dress is $4. Take it. (laughs) I spent 20 hours on it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) No. So they were very up and honest and they're like, listen, it's kind of like a math equation. You know, you get your materials and then if it's something like I personally make, it's like how many hours, what am I paying myself per hour? And that's Mm -hmm. something that was really hard to like realize like almost I was worth, I guess. (laughs) I Mm -hmm. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if it's some societal thing, but there was like a point where I was like pricing some of the items that I sew where like before I put them on my website, I like looked at it and I was like doing the math and I'm like, wait, I'm going to make like $6 an hour. Like I mm-hmm. haven't made that since I was like 15. <laughs> so I had to like adjust some things and just be like, it's going to work. It's going to work. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when, so yeah, when it came to like wholesale prices, that's something I was very hesitant on because I know it's typically a uh, typical industry standard is around like, I think like 50% or something like that, 50, 40 mm-hmm. to 50 to 60, somewhere in there. I have the number somewhere. <laughs> and the realization that you're not going to necessarily make an income from your wholesale, especially as a small brand. But what you're going to do is you're going to get your margins up. So you're going to get like your quote lowered, like cost per item. Mm -hmm. And then your business name is going to get out there. And that's something I kind of kept telling myself, but until I heard it from someone else, it just like hit me in the face. Like, wow, this makes so much sense. Yeah, I like you. I barely make anything off of wholesale, but more people are following me on social media. Like, more people are wearing my dress. And so it was definitely something I had to like grasp, but it makes so much sense in my head. And I'm like, okay, I get this. And it's working out for me because I was able to buy more dresses because my cost per item went down, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it ends up balancing out you know, at some point it'll balance out again. Yes, exactly. Again, it's like super important. And I love that you kind of like worked all this out ahead of time and asked Mm -hmm. the questions and talked to your factory and, and were able to like do the math on the numbers and say, okay, before I start wholesaling this, Mm -hmm. what makes sense? And, or at what point, you know, kind of what am I investing and for how long until I get to the point where I, you know, have a lower production cost because I'm ordering. Exactly. Yes. And And then, you know, kind of like what you're working towards and you're not mm -hmm. losing money forever on, you know, on whatever you're doing. 100%. And yeah. And like, that's the hope of right now. Like, obviously, like I don't make a ton from wholesale, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. once my, you know, my amount increases, it's going to help my company like, you know, take off more. And it's just that, you know, that first year of a business. <laughs> yeah. It's so challenging and congrats mm-hmm. on almost a year. That's a thank you. I know. I can't believe it. It feels like it's been like forever, but like two seconds at the same time. <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about sustainability and kind of as it relates to slow fashion and that whole kind of mindset and business mm-hmm. model, but are there any other ways that you incorporate sustainable practices or think about sustainability with how you run your business or create your products? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I, the number one biggest thing to me is I like don't use plastic and my packaging and all Mm -hmm. that. All of my like business cards are everything, everything are recycled materials, like recycled cotton, 
even like my scraps from sewing, the ones, the ones I don't keep. <laughs> I know. Have you heard of the company Four Days? <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they have the take back bag. And so I constantly have this take back bag where it's like $20 on their website and then you just fill it. You can like, I, my dog's like dog bed got like torn up a couple of weeks ago. So we literally put the fabric of that in there, you know, and I'll put all my fabric scraps in there, my like extra thread and all that, knowing that if I send it to them to get recycled and repurposed, it's not going to end up in a landfill. And that mm -hmm. was something that was super important to me. I was so excited when I found their company because my the amount of scraps I now collect has lessened because we're running out of space, girlfriend. But <laughs> um, so definitely that even, you know, the sustainability aspect of thrifting things and getting my fabric that way. But yeah, yeah, that's just, and I think another thing with sustainability too, especially like a sustainable fashion brand is that, you know, you want people to obviously buy your products, but you don't want them to feel like it's unnecess necessary to like over consume. And mm -hmm. so there's like that fine line, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, I want you to buy my stuff, but I'm not telling you like, fill your closet, because believe me, we all have too much of everything already. But, you know, maybe when you need that, like, really nice dress to wear to a function and it's something you love and you can see yourself wearing it again that's when you make the investment yeah it is such a fine line and of it's like you want to you want to support and promote okay when you buy clothes buy them with you know better materials and better production practices and fair labor and all that but then you also don't want to be like just buy it yeah, you need to buy it, you know. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And that's where I think, like, you know, when I started kind of categorizing my stuff as like timeless elevated basics, it's like one of those things where, you know, maybe if you had like an off-the-shoulder shirt that you've had for years and it's kind of falling apart now, like maybe now it's the time, you know, to go on my website and find something like that that aligns for you. Yeah, it's a it's such a such an interesting space to navigate as a sustainable brand or even like what I do it's like I'm helping brands create products but I of course want them to be well loved yeah. and used for a long time and so yeah. yeah it's like something I think about a lot of how do I toe the line between not not uh condoning or kind of enabling overconsumption but still mm -hmm. you know I'm working in an industry that does rely on that you know a lot of times yeah so, no yeah, it, it is it, there's balance. a it's hard to and I feel like sustainability can also play in with like like the work being ethical where us as consumers we were never taught these things you know we don't mm -hmm. I I honestly think because I did I talked to a lot of my friends and family before developing this brand and the consensus amongst most people is that our clothes are made by factory or by like robots overseas and like China yeah same I've, I've and, had like conversations mm -hmm. with people who are like yeah but it's just a machine who's sewing it it's like no, no a lot of things no. a lot of industries are automated like cars are made a lot by you know yes. yeah. by robots but clothing is not no and so that's something where you know there are days I just want to like shout it from a rooftop like you are supporting like child slavery but you that is not any of our faults like it's the corporations who are to blame and none of us should ever feel guilty for buying something you know like mm -hmm. just because we like we weren't taught this it's not our fault and I feel like that's very similar to like sustainability where you know people will be like oh I got all these shirts for x amount of dollars and yeah obviously they yeah, weren't me ethically made but what you're buying essentially is plastic mm -hmm. like you're buying something that you're gonna wear once you're gonna wash it you're gonna realize you it did not belong in the washer or dryer you're gonna throw it out and it's going to end up in a landfill and be here long past your lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's hard because, you know, I, I'm one who 
I love learning new things. I love being able to better myself and my company. But it's hard to teach people, not necessarily to teach people, but approach it gently where it's like, maybe go like, I like to do things where maybe it'll spark interest in like the reader of one of my posts to maybe like do a little, like dig a little deeper. Let me mm -hmm. see what's going on with this. Cause it is really heartbreaking what people overseas in these factories go through. Like it, it's depressing. It really is. And mm -hmm. it's awful. Yeah. It's like, sharing the facts and educating consumer without shaming the choices they 100%. made probably without even knowing yeah 100% mm -hmm. so what is something that you are most proud of in this past year of running the business or that you're most excited about for for the next year oh my gosh I think I am most proud of just like I know I said patience a lot before, but like my patience with it, but also just like sticking with it. And wow, this is a hard question. What I'm most proud of. <laughs> <laughs> I really think, I think that's it. You know, I think just completing a year is such a big deal. It's yeah. Like I literally just the whole thing in general is what I'm more, I'm just so I'm so proud of myself. You know, I'm, I'm proud of like that 10 year old girl who just like wouldn't stop drawing dresses and like cutting up things around the house to make clothes for dolls. Mm -hmm. um, I did the same thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So our parents knew, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I think I'm also just super proud of, I don't know. It's the weird way to say it, but like my grandma and how she's been gone for 10 years and I'm still like learning so much from her. Something I didn't mention was that along with her dresses, I was also given like all of her sewing stuff. And oh. still today, I'll find like these little things. Like a couple months ago, I found like a, a tiny piece of paper, like probably like folded up to like an inch by an inch and it just had some thread wrapped around it and the thread was no longer than maybe three feet at most and like this woman kept that thread to be used for something else and like I'm looking back at like school where it's like oh you only have a couple like like yards left on that spool just throw it out mm. and it's and I think these little things that I'm finding of hers and stuff, I'm proud that, you know, I'm not just like, oh, this is thread. Like I'm looking into it and I'm like, wow, like this can be something like this doesn't need to be wasted. I think something else with that too is my like cousins and like aunts and especially my grandpa, we're, we're getting the conversation started again about someone who is so special to us and so creative. So that's been really, really cool like with my family this past year you know just being able to talk about this sassy little woman more <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so fun yeah so I have one more question that I ask everyone yeah. at the end of the interview um, which is if you could communicate one value to the world to the clothes you design what would it be I want to say I don't know is timeless does that make sense mm-hmm like timeless as in like picking something like we were talking about purchasing with purpose and mm. viewing clothing more than just fabric that we put on our bodies, you know, like, mm -hmm. how is this going to make me feel? Am I going to wear this again? Where is this going to end up? Is this going to, is this something I can pass down in my family? Like that was, that's a huge thing is, you know, the timelessness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> this has been so fun, Emily, to get to know you and your story of Junie a, a little bit better today. Where can people find out more about Junie online? So my website is Junie.com. That's J-U-U-N-E-Y. So yeah, there's two U's on there. And then my Instagram handle as well as TikTok is shop Junie. Yeah. And then if you're in the Tampa area, 
definitely see if I have a market around you because <laughs> market season is here. Cool. We'll put links to those in the show notes. And yeah, thank you so much again for joining. This has been really fun. It's been so nice talking to you, Allison. Thank you. Yeah. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you would like more episodes and resources like this about growing a fashion business that fits your customer, lifestyle, and values, send straight to your inbox. You can sign up for my email list at alisonhainis.com newsletter. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-H-O-E-N-E-S dot com slash newsletter. Again, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of How Fitting.